I said, okay, I have a little bit more of a handle on things and I need to be contributing to my family again. It wasn't really, I want to do this. It was, I feel that I have to. Um, and because my work is all about Facebook and Instagram advertising, the things that had changed in those six months were massive. Last fall, I was hiking in Great Smoky Mountains National Park, and I felt the weirdest pain in my right ankle. It felt like I had rolled it or sprained it or done something very weird to it, but I hadn't. I was just hiking along, and then I felt a shooting pain. Now, I kept hiking, which may not be the smartest thing to do, but that's what I did, and the pain would come and go as I hiked along. And when I got home from the trip, I was still experiencing some odd pain in that ankle. So I decided to take a break from my regular running routine. First, I took a week off. Then I tried to run a few miles, but no dice. It hurt. Then I took a couple more weeks off and I tried running again. I made it a little further this time, but still I felt that pain. So at that point, I gave myself permission to just work out in other ways for the foreseeable future. I'd attempt running every so often, but I wasn't really putting in the miles like I did before that hike. That's how I spent this winter, lifting weights, focusing on climbing, and becoming quite familiar with the elliptical machine. Now, by February, I needed to start adding miles back in so that I was ready to start a half marathon training plan in mid-March. But I was nervous. I was afraid that I'd not only lost the physical fitness I'd earned through running, but the mental fitness too. It took me a long time to build up to being able to push through both the physical and mental barriers that you run into when you're running. And I honestly expected to have lost it all. But little bit by little bit, I realized just how little I had lost. And sure, I needed time on my feet and miles under my belt to establish my base running fitness again. But I actually came back faster than I was before I took the extended break. When I started running, I was planting a seed, a small investment in my future fitness. The more I ran, the more I nurtured what was growing inside of me. But even when I took that extended break, what I had planted well, it didn't stop growing. You're listening to What Works, the show that brings you candid conversations with small business owners about what's really working to run and grow their businesses. And I'm your host, Tara McMullen. Now, my guest this week had a similar experience, but in her business. Claire Pelletro is a Facebook ad strategist and the host of the Get Paid podcast. A few years ago, Claire took maternity leave, and that maternity leave ended up being twice as long as she originally planned. Coming back to work was, as she put it, terrifying. She was worried that she'd lost her edge or that she'd gotten left behind by changes in the market. But what she ultimately found was that the seed she'd planted years ago was still growing. It just took her a little time to reclaim her confidence for tending it. Claire and I not only talk about her return from maternity leave, but why she took a gig subcontracting for another ad strategist, how she found a new level of confidence, and how her own offers have evolved, flops, and all. We also discuss the return of her brilliant podcast, Get Paid. Now, before we get to that conversation, though, can I ask you a favor? If you appreciate the kind of candid conversations we have here on What Works with small business owners who share the inner workings of their businesses, we'd love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell us about an episode that stuck with you or a topic of conversation that really gets you thinking. 
Go to explorewhatworks.com slash review, and it'll take you straight to Apple Podcasts so that you can leave your review. That's explorewhatworks.com slash review. Now, let's find out what works for Claire Pelletro. Claire Pelletro, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yo, I am so excited to be here. <laughs> Tara, I got to tell you, it's been at the top of my list for a long time. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you. And I have to say both to you and to everyone listening that your podcast, Get Paid, which is an excellent, excellent show, was such a huge inspiration to me in creating what works and the format that we use here in terms of getting people to talk about what's worked for them, how they do things, um, and getting into some of the nitty gritty that you know, just a lot of people don't talk about. You talk about the numbers. We talk about process and inspiration and all those kinds of things. Um, and I'm just, I'm really stoked to turn the tables on you and and see what happens in this particular conversation. Um, and so as we do here, I would love to just jump right into the middle of things, um, which is that you are um, well, you're a couple years back now from taking a pretty sizable break from your business during maternity leave. And I'm curious, um, you know, anytime someone takes a break like that, I think that there can be some hesitancy in coming back. There can be some reservations. There might be some trepidation. So I'd love for you to describe how coming back from maternity leave, coming back to your business felt for you at that time. Well, it was terrifying. Uh, I ended up taking about twice the amount of time that I intend to. I was planning on giving myself a nice three-month break, which I thought was great and generous uh, for myself as an entrepreneur. And I also expected that after my daughter was born uh, that I would want to get back to work very quickly. And that was not the case. I was knocked down hard by new momness uh, and not sleeping and all that jazz. So about six months in, I said, okay, I have a little bit more of a handle on things and I need to be contributing to my family again. It wasn't really, I want to do this. It was, I feel that I have to. Um, and because my work is all about Facebook and Instagram advertising, the things that had changed in those six months were massive. They introduced video ads, which suddenly everyone was asking me about. And I was like, I don't know. I haven't run a video ad for myself or for any client because I haven't run any client ads since actually I was, uh, I took time off running client ads starting in 2015. So it was like a year since I had run campaigns for people, a little less time for myself, but I had to dive in with my own area of expertise feeling really like a fraud. Like, I don't really know what the answer is here. I don't know what the best thing is or how to make a video ad that converts. Um, but I had to pretend that I knew. So I just started telling people what I thought was the right answer, you know, based on just kind of general logical marketing best practices, I started advising people again about their ads, teaching them or helping them do it themselves. And then I also very quickly realized I needed to put this into practice for myself. And I was able to catch up, but that time where I had to play catch up, quote unquote, just felt like the most unstable time in my business. And that's compared to like when I got fired and had to start my business, I felt even less secure of things when I came back. 
Wow. Uh, in hindsight, did diving in and, as you said, pretending that you knew what you were talking about? Now, I know you and I know that this was done in integrity and ethically and you have a really good you know, foundation, as you said, of marketing best practices, of understanding how these things work, even if your specific subject level knowledge was a little behind. But in hindsight, do you think that was the right thing to do? Should you have spent more time? Would you have liked to have spent more time boning up on the specifics before you dove in with clients? It actually was the best thing I could have done. Um, one, because I got to see very quickly about just that there's a lot of hype whenever there's a new type of ad that comes mm. out. Um, but whether or not that works better than what was working before, uh, that's really up for debate and it depends on every single individual campaign. So what I got to see is that a lot of hype about video ads was about this one metric that didn't matter, like video views versus clicks or conversions. And so I did what I always do, which is focus on the most important metrics. And I saw very quickly like, oh, there's really no difference here. It's just a different kind of creative. But if it doesn't resonate or whatever, you're not going to get the results no matter how fabulous your video production is. I love that. Okay. So what are some of the small steps then that you took to get the ball rolling? Where were you finding clients? What kinds of things were you booking them for? What did that look like? Yeah. So I really didn't know how I was going to make money consistently. I, you know, I coming back from maternity leave, even, you know, a few months in, I was just kind of like, uh, maybe I'll make another product or something like that. But I went to Traffic and Conversion Summit in 2017, beginning of the year. And somebody reached out to me, somebody who had been following my blog since it started. And he said, hey, I'm going to be at this event the night before and I have this extra ticket. Do you want to come with me? And the funny thing is I had been avoiding this guy for years <laughs> because I could see that he was a competitor. You know, this was another ads expert. He was learning from me. That's cool. But he was also turning around and serving clients. So I was just kind of like, yeah, uh-huh. Okay, cool. Great. Thanks for the comment on the blog and just ignoring him. But finally, I was going to this conference where I had, you know, I really didn't know anybody. I didn't know what to expect. And so I responded. I was like, yes, thank you. Sorry for ghosting you all those years. And I'll see you there. And he turned out to be Tony Ruley, who is the founder, co-founder of a an ad agency, Intentional Spark. And what Tony was doing that weekend, which I didn't know, was looking for ad consultants that he could start to hand off his, his client work to. Because he was working with contractors, but he was not letting go of the higher level clients for fear that, you know, somebody who he found on Upwork or something wouldn't really be up to the job. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, I'm thinking okay, this guy's got clients who are paying a lot of money. They're spending a lot on ads. I haven't run ads, like I said, since 2015. Um, hmm, I wonder if there's something here. So we started talking about what that would look like. What would it look like for me to subcontract through him? And the biggest struggle for me was about my ego, right? Because I had spent since 2014, been working up this 
reputation, my personal brand of a Facebook ad expert, and then to turn around and run ads through somebody else's business felt really embarrassing. I don't, I don't know why, but what I craved was some stable income so I could work on, you know, my other courses, my other offerings without having to be so attached to the outcome. You know, is this going to work? Is this going to, to be able to help us pay our rent? Um, and also learn, really get back into things and learn from somebody who used to be learning from me but who now had more experience with the kinds of clients I wanted to work with. So I took on three, I think, clients through him. And then that relationship led me to increase my own rates, go out and get my own clients uh, because I saw, oh, wait, this actually isn't very much different from what I am used to. It's just at a higher scale. So that experience, earning less than maybe I would have if they had been my own clients, but having kind of more room to experiment, then gave me the ability to turn around and teach more people with a lot more confidence, um, kind of the same things as before. It just reconfirmed my expertise. That's fascinating because, I mean, where you started with that is this is a real big hit to my ego. And I think that a lot of people can identify with that. Um, you know, even uh, earlier this year on the podcast, we talked to Megan Francis, who um, had her own agency, shut it down, went and took a job at something similar. And she talked about the same thing, like that's a big hit to your ego when you're used to being the one in charge. And now you you have a job or in this case, you're subcontracting. You'll find out how Claire's own products and offers have evolved since her maternity leave, including some flopped launches in just a bit. But first, a word from our What Works partner. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Mighty Networks powers brands and businesses like yours that bring people together. You started your small business with an idea, and it's grown and grown. And now that you've built programs, events, online courses, or even a community, you realize that this growth has gotten a little out of hand. Your work and your customers are spread out over a bunch of different tools and platforms. Your content lives in a few different places. Your community hangs out somewhere else. Your products have grown up on yet another platform. And your payments? Well, they're all over the place. Starting a Mighty Network can change all that. Mighty Networks makes it easy to bring your content, products, community, events, and payment processing all together. We use Mighty Networks to power the What Works Network. We share exclusive content, interact with members using questions and polls, host events like our upcoming virtual conference, and accept membership fees. Mighty Networks has made our whole business tidier. Start growing your business all in one place and see just how easy it can be to create a streamlined, engaging, and profitable brand. Go to Mighty Network com to get started. Mighty Networks is the easiest way to take your business to the next level. Here at What Works, we're crazy about sharing the ins and outs, ups and downs of how small business owners run and grow their businesses. We know it can be incredibly hard to come by the honest to goodness truth about the marketing, operational, or product development systems that power successful businesses. But it's just this kind of nitty gritty information you 
brave. And that's where the What Works Network comes in. Inside the network, you become a part of ongoing conversations about exactly how things work when it comes to business models, social media, service delivery, technology, tools, and more. Our members share transparently, candidly, and generously and you can too. In the last week, our members have talked about how to pre-qualify prospective clients before you hop on a consultation call, how a brand can evolve to encompass a bigger audience, how to do customer research, and how to delegate your email during an extended break. Now, these are the in-depth conversations that experienced small business owners need to fill in the gaps and find more efficient ways to do business on their own terms. The What Works Network helps you find answers to the ungoogleable questions. We help you stay focused, on target, and optimistic about your next steps. The What Works Network gives you access to friendly, practical, and radically honest conversations about how small businesses really work. Now, we'll be opening membership again soon. To be notified as soon as we open the doors, go to explorewhatworks.com slash network. That's explorewhatworks.com slash network. What I'm hearing from you is that allowing yourself to take that ego hit and to do this, you know, to do the work that was brought to you instead of work that you'd gone out and gotten actually enabled you to create the confidence and the space in your own business and energy to get back into the game at a higher level probably than what you were at before. Does that sound right? Yes, absolutely. Um, it also gave me a friend in the ad yeah. business. I actually didn't have friends. I had students who looked up to me and then who I watched pass me by while I took time off. Oh, talk about an ego thing. Ugh, I like feel I, you. Some of my most incredible students have turned around and, and like they're running the ads that I see every day um, and bringing in incredible ROI because they started foundationally learning from me. Um, But so you don't necessarily feel like you can talk to those people about what's going on with you. So then when I had a launch in the end, uh, towards the end of 2017 for one of my own products, and it was, it tanked, I'll be completely honest about that. Um, I had somebody to go to and he said, no, you're doing everything right. You know this, this is current ad costs. This is the specificity of your offer. Um, And just being able to say, okay, I'm not a a total moron. Um, Just having someone else look over my shoulder was and continues to be hugely important for me. That's so incredible. I'm so thankful that you shared that. I think that's going to help a lot of people. Um, all right, let's let's dig into that piece of things a little bit. The uh, the the part where your launch tanks. I'm sorry that you have to relive this. I know oh, that's no. painful. I love uh, to. I okay, love cool. to. <laughs> so you did mention that as you were subcontracting and starting to bring on clients of your own, you were also leaving space to create new products, and that, uh, like you said, you launched this thing at the end of 2017 and it tanked. Can you tell us what happened with that? Where did things go wrong? What did you under estimate or, you know, what, just you know, tell us, tell us what happened. Sure. I'm going to back up just a tiny bit Please. because the space that, you know, running these ads for Tony's agency gave me, allowed me to relaunch my signature course. I was raising the price tremendously. So that brought in like 
more sales than I could ever have imagined. I I think I did like $37,000 for a $300 product. Um, that was incredible. Then right on the back of that, I relaunched a mentorship program that I have for ad consultants. And that went extremely well. I raised the price on that as well. And I just got the most incredible people. I felt invincible, mm. right? Mm-hmm. I was like, everything I touch turns to gold. <laughs> and I had this idea because for some of the clients I was working with, uh, working on with Tony, I kept having to do the exact same thing over and over again. It was webinars that people were running consistently, not like a one-off, but consistently. So I came up with this system to just run the webinar ads over and over again, improve the results over time. Um, I felt like a genius. And so I decided this is something that people need. They need the system for webinar ads. And so I turned around, I created an entire course from scratch about the strategy and the how-to, which Facebook and Instagram ad how-to stuff is a complete time suck. Um, And I decided to follow the formula of one of these kind of famous internet marketing guys to do a big launch, which included video series and blah, blah, blah. Um, And the one thing I didn't do in preparation for this was ask anyone if they wanted it. (laughs) I didn't Uh ask anyone on my list if they were even running webinars. So I think I got caught up in the fact that, you know, I see a lot of marketing about webinars. I follow some teachers of webinars because I've been interested in them. But the vast majority of online business owners are not using webinars. And then... An even smaller number of those people are trying to promote them with Facebook ads. So when I turned on my ads for this, I got some expensive cost per lead, right? It probably cost me about $8 for everyone who signed up. And I spent $8,000 on cold audiences, meaning people who had never heard of me before, because I was just so confident even with the high cost per lead, I did the math, you know, a 1% conversion rate should be fine. I also expected my existing uh, audience, the, the list, my fans, my students to also buy. But I can't remember the conversion rate exactly of that launch. I do know that from the people who opted into the video series, it was about like a one and a half percent conversion rate, but I couldn't get people to opt in for the life of me. And those... Mm. Those thousand people who came in from cold audiences, $8,000 worth of ads, not a single one of them bought. (gasps) Are you serious? I'm serious. That's nuts. I mean, there are a lot of reasons why I believe they didn't. um, But I think the main thing is that, okay, people might sign up for a, a video series on webinar ads, but they're not actually trying to pay for it. They need a basic course on, on ads, Mm -hmm. not just, you know, something so niche. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that really makes me look bad that I can't convert a one from a thousand. Uh, I know, I know how it looks, but that's what it is. Okay. So, uh, You kind of, you definitely hinted at some things that went wrong within that story, but I I would love for you to point out the specific things you know in hindsight that 
you didn't do or that you did wrong or that you miscalculated? Like, can you just even like, can you bullet point it out for us? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Totally. Okay. So, um, the, the worst thing I think was my webinar. So I also did a webinar and at the time, Tara, Mm -hmm. I hated webinars. They were my kryptonite, right? I was doing a course about webinar ads um, but the webinar themselves were my kryptonite. And I actually kind of talked about this in the, the video series, but I was doing it as a Facebook live and Facebook kept kicking me off. I was already, you know, like under so much stress from having to do it that I recorded something and I barely did a pitch. It was not live. I just had to send it out being like, sorry guys, this is what happened. Um, but here's the, here's the content that I promised you. And then like, two minutes talking about the course instead of a proper pitch. I had no fast action bonuses and I just couldn't really get people to go through the actual entire series of the videos. I mean, I think that's the hardest part of any video training launch is getting people to watch all of them. I've seen people incentivize with, you know, free trips or giveaways if you watch the whole thing and answer some questions. Like it's pulling teeth to get people to watch all the videos. I see it now with my existing clients who still use this method. And just to clarify, and maybe this is obvious to everybody, but I just want to make sure um, when you say a video series, you're really talking about like what I would know as the Jeff Walker style. It was. It was a Jeff Walker. Yeah. Yeah. It was like what what maybe even more people are familiar with, at least our listeners, the Marie Forleo style launch. Oh, right. Yeah. I didn't realize that that's what she did. Um, But yes, it was that. And I mean, I, I don't know what's going to happen if I come onto your show and badmouth what somebody teaches, but um, I didn't, I felt like those videos, and I still do when I watch them, are more sales, more marketing than actual sharing of content. Yeah, for sure. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody was like, wait, I thought you were going to actually give me the whole system. And I give them like, I I definitely share some info, but most of it, most of these like almost 30 minute videos was marketing bullshit. Yeah. So after that, you know, I was really kind of burnt out and just anti-launches. I didn't know how I was ever going to sell something like that again. And then the next year following Mariah Kaz's very different launch methodology, with some Facebook lives that were all about sharing and teaching, I had my best launch ever at like $70,000. Damn. Nice yeah. work. Uh, Thank you. How was that product different? Oh, well, completely different price point uh, and targets a different market. That was for my mentorship program for ad ah. consultants. So there you are literally saying, here is a way for you to generate revenue in your own business. Uh, let me teach you how. And it's $5,000, which is a big investment, of course. Um, but there's a clearer path to ROI after that, right? Yeah. When you take a Facebook ad course, you know, hopefully you're going to have profitable campaigns, but it's not as clear. You really have to learn a ton of things about ads to put together campaigns that are are really incredible. So 
you know, that's not to say that people shouldn't study them, obviously, but I think that you just need to go into it understanding that this is going to be a long-term, uh, yeah, a long-term learning thing. Yeah, yeah. So how are you thinking about your business differently today than you were maybe right before that launch that tanked? Yeah. Okay. That's a great question because the main difference is that I'm now thinking about my business as one that serves people who will have the best possible chance with ads. And then the way I am filtering them is with pricing, mm. right? Because I have always thought mm, I should have like a $100 or $200 ad course or uh, I should come up with all these different products, like maybe just a, a low price strategy so people can learn what's in my brain um, without paying an arm and a leg. But, you know, what I see with launches is a lot of times people buy because of the urgency, because of the scarcity, but then they don't actually do anything. Mm -hmm. uh, now I have a funnel. I have an evergreen funnel for my ads course. There is definitely some of that urgency included, but it doesn't say like you, you can't get in if you don't join now. Uh, and I also talk very clearly. In fact, I have on the sales page of my course, I talk about how Facebook ads are like Viagra. <laughs> like they're not going to, it's not going to make you good in bed. Your right. Facebook ads are not going to make an offer that's not the right fit or the audience that you thought was the right one, but isn't, it's not going to make them buy. Uh, so I just try to emphasize that. And, and also now I'm really focusing on my clients' ads. I think I wanted to have a business that was all courses, all quote unquote passive, you know, me not implementing for anyone else. But what I saw when I came back from maternity leave and then started working on these fun, exciting kind of like mad scientist campaigns is that that was the mental gymnastics that I really crave. Mm. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of people are having that kind of realization right now that the promise of having a super passive, super scaled, super leverageable business um, was almost intoxicating, right? Like this idea that you can create something and then thousands or hundreds of thousands of people are going to use it and then imagining what that's going to mean for your bank account. Like that's really incredible. And then at the end of the day, you're like, but wait, like I want people to have success <laughs> and I want, mm. I want the, the, um, challenge and the experience of helping them create that ex, ex, uh, that success. And then you realize that in order to do that, your business is going to look different. So how has this more, much more clarified way of looking at your business, uh, thinking about your business, uh, impacted, say, what you have planned for this year, 2019? Yeah, sure. So the price of my signature course is going to go up later on in the year because I realize all the updates and all the support, um, that really just comes at a higher value. And it will again act as a filter, more of a filter for the people who um, who really aren't in a position. They're, they're just kind of trying to figure out what's going to make their business work and they think it might be Facebook ads. It's going to filter those people out. 
Mm-hmm. Um, this It's really going to become something that's more for people who are like, great, I'm bringing in a consistent, you know, like five to 10K every month in revenue. And now I'm ready. And I did that organically. And now I'm ready to, you know, kind of boost that boost as Facebook would love to have us use, but just boost that with ads. Um, give it, give you a little lift like you would with the Viagra. Uh, and I'm actually changing my mentorship program a little bit in order to support the people who go through it for a longer period of time. Because what I've seen is my students do they do well in three months. A lot of them like really start learning about more advanced tactics, but then they they still need support going forward as they get the more advanced clients, as they land those clients. Mm-hmm. But I have been unable to figure out a good upsell for them right out of the training because previously they were paying 5K for three months. And so at month three, you know, almost none of them have paid that thing off. So then to say, okay, well, here's ongoing support in a group setting. They're like, oh, wait, so now I'm I'm adding that to my already to the bill that I am mm-hmm. paying you every month. So what I'm seeing is I just need to build that in to the beginning. You know, like when they go in, it's like, okay, this is twice the length. This is six months. And I am going to be paying a little more every month, but the value is clearly there. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. Um, okay. Let's talk about your podcast. Ooh, uh, okay. Because I love the podcast and um, everyone needs more podcasts to listen to, I think. I agree. Um, <laughs> so you decided to relaunch your podcast this year after mm-hmm. several years away, several Um, what prompted that decision? Do you want to know the specific day? (laughs) Yes. I love when there's a specific day. Okay, cool. I feel like I'm really bearing all for, for you guys. Thanks for being here with me. Um, (laughs) so a year ago I started a mastermind, an in-person mastermind for some people that I had known online for a while. And we all got together in, in New York And in my hot seat, I don't even remember what my particular question was or like issue that I wanted to bring to the table. But basically it came out that somebody, somebody who was there in the nicest way possible, she basically said like, I don't know what your brand is. Do you, I don't feel like you have a brand. And I was, I I ran away from the room. I like burst into tears at one point. Um, And I realized that it was, she was right. Like ever since I came back from my maternity leave, I had sort of been hiding my personality. I was trying to highlight my knowledge, but completely hiding my personality. And before I went on maternity leave, I had this podcast where I asked people how much money they got paid and how did they bring in that revenue and what were their expenses like? And I think these conversations were the most me I had ever been because I could just ask the really nosy questions I was always interested in Um, and getting other people to be super transparent as well. So it took me a year after that to actually get the show back up and running, but I knew then that I needed to make a few decisions. I needed probably to work with somebody on branding and actually getting a website up and running that I was 
excited to send people to and that really showed me as a person, not just a bunch of blog posts about Facebook ads um, and that I needed to bring back the show, but in a different way. Because now, Tara, it if you listen to episodes from season one, for example, versus the most recent episodes, I talk about my work the way I never did before. Mm. I ask people about Facebook and Instagram ads. I give them some strategy ideas. And I, instead of going back to the company that sponsored season two and three, which really paid for my production costs, basically, I decided to run my own ads for my own stuff, basically some opt-ins that lead into a funnel. And as soon as those episodes launched, I saw an uptick in list growth and an uptick in sales, probably because people who are listening to the podcast may or may not be on my list. You know, tons of people... Mm -hmm. You probably listen to tons of podcasts that you're not on any of their lists. Totally. And if you never hear what their actual offers are or what they can help you with, you would never know. So I start mentioning XYZ Masterclass or this and that uh, swipe file, and people start adopting it. And Tara, I didn't even do a good job of setting up the right tracking link for that because <laughs> I find that links, when you tell people to visit a link, it needs to be as clean and small yes. and short as possible. So I used the original link. But now I can see from Google Analytics that I'm, I'm getting all these opt-ins from direct traffic, which I wasn't before, which means people are plugging it into their browser on their phone. Yeah. Um, and sales are coming from there as well. Brilliant. I love that you shared that you realized you were hiding your personality and that also you weren't that previously in the podcast, that wasn't something that you were highlighting at all. You were just, you were the interviewer. And I have to tell you, I have had such a similar realization and um, I have been pursuing a similar evolution, both in social media and in content marketing, of course, um, but also on the podcast. So that, you know, like three years ago when we started the podcast, it was very, here's the intro, here's the guest bio, here's the interview. And sure, my personality um, informs how I ask questions, who I talk to, what we're talking about. Um, but in the last, what has it been? Probably four months, um, we've moved to a format where I write a custom introduction to the beginning of every episode and share what I'm thinking about on that topic or some of, you know, a story that comes to mind um, or an example from my own business or my own life that has something to do with what we're going to talk about in the interview and just a much more personal setup. And I've gotten the nicest notes about it. But like you said, I can also see the difference in our traffic, in our opt-ins, mm. um, in our sales. And we haven't even, we've gotten new sales and our membership hasn't even been opened. So I'm really curious to see what happens when we actually open membership and say, hey, you can buy this on the podcast. Um, but yeah, it's been really fascinating. Why? And maybe you don't have an answer to this question, but why do you think you were hiding after maternity leave? Or, and, you know, you talked about feeling like a fraud or feeling, you know, that lack of confidence, but that's different than hiding your personality. Why do you think you were hiding your personality when you came back? I wish I had a good answer for this. Yeah. I mean, what happened, I think, in late 2016, early 2017 is that, well, first of all, video ads, right there, that's video. Facebook Live, Instagram Live, 
IGTV, like all of this is very, um, very visual, right? Very on camera. And I have always had a complex about the way I look. Mm. Um, and so I was not going on video and that also, you know, video training series, maybe I, maybe I came across as like a total nervous wreck. It's possible. Um, but so I just held back. And so then when I wrote, when I was writing blog posts and things like that, uh, I was just like, oh, well, people just want the how to, they don't want, you know, fluff or stories about me. They just want to learn ads, but it has, I've recently been reminded of the fact that, and I have this on a post-it note in front of me right now, Tara, to, to remember constantly, that people could learn ads from like 80 different people, right? Yeah. I think in the time that I, you know, took off uh, for maternity leave, I don't know how many new experts cropped up. And I'm like, who are you? And I just had this scarcity mindset, this scarcity mindset about like the number of people the number of experts who could serve this audience. But now I'm seeing from actually showing up on Instagram and on Facebook with Facebook Live uh, or whatever that they don't really care what the thing I'm teaching them is. They want to learn it from me. And that may be because I'm ridiculously transparent uh, or because I'm funny in the way I teach or for any myriad of reasons, but it's, I'm going to be that person for some people and then really not for other people. Yeah. Do you have any concerns about the longevity of that? Or, I mean, I know some people are probably thinking, yeah, but like, does that scale? But my, my concern is more like the longevity and sustainability of it. Like assuming that you see your company growing in some way, having subcontractors, having other people working with you, do you worry at all about being the face of things and having that be a core piece of how you gain visibility and awareness for your brand? Hmm. Really good question. One, I'm not really concerned about growth right now. Mm. Um, I'm a little bit more concerned about personal health and those mm-hmm. kinds of things. So I would like if if I make less money this year than last year, that would be fine because I, I did really well last year, but so long as I'm working a lot less. The other thing is a, some chunk of my revenue comes from referring out. I don't work with subcontractors almost ever. It's mm-hmm. just not the kind of business model that I want. So I send my friend Tony people and I make 15% of what he charges them for six months. Oh, wow. And last year I brought in $20,000 that way. So if I have... If it's just me, you know, as the the face of the brand, no, I won't be able to serve everyone who comes my way, but I can refer out or I can actually look at different offerings that are just more expensive and more, therefore more time consuming for me. But then I don't have to worry so much about, you know, like thousand dollar sales if I'm making, you know, a $4,000 sale every couple of weeks, you know? Yeah. Totally. Uh, Claire, what are you most excited about for this year? Talking to more people on my podcast. One of of the things that I did not enjoy while I was podcasting previously was talking to people who I thought would make good guests on the show, but I then would like 
clam up about asking them the hard questions. Mm-hmm. I would just get like so nervous. I still get nervous asking people how much how much money they take home because that's the new question I've added this year. Um, but like they were just boring interviews and sometimes felt like it was pulling teeth, even from people who are on podcasts all the time, but they're not on podcasts like mine. Right. They're not on podcasts like yours where it's just like, let's go really deep. It's very surface level and talking about their area of expertise. Um, so what I had to say to myself after recording one episode that I felt like fell a little bit flat because I was too busy worried about what people would think. I was just like, no, I I can't do that anymore. If I'm going to have somebody on, I'm going to ask them exactly what I want to ask them. I'm just going to have a really great conversation. And since then, every single interview I've had has been so illuminating for me and a lot of fun. I am so happy to hear that. And I'm so happy Get Paid is back. And I am so happy that you were willing to be as honest and transparent as you were um, on all these different subjects with us. I I know this episode is going to help a lot of people. Claire Pelletro, thank you so much. Thank you, Tara. Find out more about Claire Pelletro at ClarePels.com. I also highly recommend listening to Claire's Get Paid podcast. Find it wherever you listen to What Works. This episode was produced by Sean McMullen. It was edited by Marty Seafeld. Our theme music is by The Shrugs. Find more than 200 other candid conversations with small business owners, plus information on how you can become a part of the conversation at the What Works Network at explorewhatworks.com. <laughs>